Last several weeks, we've been in the whole month of December, we've been in this uh, passage of Scripture uh, in First John chapter 4. Uh, sometimes we don't see that as the Christmas story, but in a real sense it is. We've talked about that in First John chapter 4, the little letter of First John, what happened was is that uh, John tried to tell us some things that are very important. Uh, John asked, first of all, he asked, asked this question, does love define your life? We talked about this uh, three weeks ago. Does love define your life? And, and he asked that question because he said, you know, God wants to give us a great gift. He wants to unwrap Christmas. And when Jesus came uh, as, as a baby, what happened was is he came for a purpose. The purpose wasn't just so we could have, you know, we always think of Christmas, and we shared just a couple of weeks ago. We think of Christmas as, as you know, kind of symbolic of this, this baby blanket. It's about the baby, right? That's what we usually think of. But the issue is, is that Christmas is really more symbolic and what God was trying to tell us at Christmas when he sent his son, it should be more symbolic of this, the cross. That's what really Christmas is about. And we usually don't think about Christmas that way because we have this, this idea, you know, of the baby in the manger. That's great. But the thing is, is the baby came so he could grow up and become a man to die upon a cross for our sins. And God was trying to express to us his love. And John, what he does in this little uh, book of First John, the little, little letter of First John, he talks to us about, first of all, he says, does love define your life? And a couple of weeks ago, we talked about the passage, the few verses there about how God proves his love for us and that he sent his son. And that's what we usually think of at Christmas. But then the third thing we talked about last week was this, is that, is that so often the reason that we don't experience God's love and then we don't give that love to other people is because what happens is, is that we are, are, are afraid of that God really doesn't live in us. And so what we talked about last week, and John was trying to say to us, was this. He was trying to say to us, you know, if God lives in you, you can be sure of that. There's some ways to know that. And so we talked about that last week. So if you weren't here the last three weeks, you can go online on our podcast or go to our website. You can actually listen to all of our, our messages, and, and it kind of leads into today. And today I want to conclude this series uh, talking about uh, just a, two or three, about three verses out of First John chapter 4. If you have your Bible with you today, turn with me there to 1 John chapter 4. If you don't, we'll have some of those verses up on the screen this morning. And I want to talk about these to kind of conclude this series, to bring to conclusion something that God says about this. Now, I've got to use, I can only use one hand at a time, so I've got to do this in a different way this morning. Usually that's what's nice. We talked about last week that uh, in a real sense what happens is, is that God, we talked about last week, wants us to know that he lives in us. And in knowing that he lives in us, God wants us, he talked about, we can know that God actually literally, I can't do this with one hand, hold a second. <laughs> God says that he came into the world so that we can know and we can be assured, as we looked at what First John says multiple times, that we can be assured that God lives in us. This, this is us. This is God. God pours himself into us, and we can know that for sure. That's what we talked about last week. The question this week is this, though. When God pours himself into us, what does that mean? What are we supposed to do with that? Okay, yeah, I'm filled up with God now. What does that mean? And so we're going to look at three verses of Scripture today that talks about why that is so, so important. Why it's important that God just doesn't, that we can know, we can be assured that God lives in us. It means that we can have eternity with God. But in the meantime, while we're here upon this earth, what does that mean in a literal sense? And so today, 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 let's look at 1 John chapter 4, verses 17 through 19. Let's read it first, then I'll go back and talk about it for a few minutes. This is how love is made perfect in us, that we could be without fear on the day of God judges us. Because in this world, we are like him. 
Where God's love is, there is no fear, because God's perfect love drives out fear. It is punishment that makes a person fear. So love is not made perfect in the person who fears. We love because God first loved us. Verse 17 basically says this. It tells us how to have something that everybody wants to have. And that is uh, uh, one thing. And then in verse 19, it tells us how to get rid of something everybody wants to get rid of. Verse 17, John tells us to have a, we have to have confidence or boldness in the day of judgment. And verse 18 tells us how to cast fear out of our lives. Most of us want to have confidence, right? You want to have confidence in your life? And, and, and you, don't, you don't want to have fear in your life. So he tells us how to get something and how to get rid of something. He talks about basically two sides of the same coin. So the main point here today is this in Scripture, as we look at it today, is this. The main point is that John wants to help us to enjoy confidence before God and to live in that confidence, and that confidence will be uh, lived out in a certain way. Now, the first thing that it talks about it kind of jumped out to me when I was reading this passage is something that we don't talk about too much. And, and I don't talk about it too much, and that's judgment. You know, judgment is something we don't want to even think about because it gives us the heebie-jeebies, right? You know, judgment, you know, going before God. But the issue is, is that, you know, sometimes I think in our culture that so often we just don't want to think that judgment's even something that, uh, uh, that, that even is, is a reality. But the word hell, uh, the word Gehenna, is used 12 times in the New Testament. And guess who uses it 11 of those 12 times? Jesus. Jesus. Jesus is the one that talks about hell 11 of the 12 times it's mentioned in Scripture. So it's a reality. He says that there is a place where you can go if you don't trust God in your life. We, there's, there's not just everybody's going to the same place and it's just a wonderful life. But the issue is, is Jesus says this to us in a sense. He says, uh, and John says this, we need to take judgment seriously. But according to 1 John chapter 4, verses 17 and 18, there is a way, he says, John says, to approach judgment with fearless confidence. And how can we do that? Uh, and John basically wrote this book, it says, uh, as we look at, if we've looked over for several weeks, to, to give us confidence for the day of judgment and to cast out fear. That's the two things that happen. So how does that happen? Well, let's look at the, the verses for a few minutes. These two verses are actually two verses, and I'll just kind of uh, close with the final one. In verse, uh, verse 17 of 1 John chapter 4, notice that there are three clauses in that passage. Uh, the three clauses in that passage. First, in 17a, it says this. This is how love is made perfect in us. The second clause is that we can be, be without fear on the day God judges us. And the third clause is because in this world we are like him. It says that the result of having love perfected or completed in us, in a real sense, is that we can have confidence for the day of judgment, number one. And secondly, it says that the reason perfected love gives confidence, it shows that we are like Christ. And let's take these, these, uh, these things one at a time. What is perfected love? It, it's kind of a strange thing. We think when we use the word perfected, what do we think of? We think of, you know, everything just, it's perfect. It, but the thing is we have to understand here what perfected love is. It, it, it says this, it says in this passage, in this is love perfected with us. What does this refer to? The words that I see there just before it says that God is love, and he who abides in love abides in God, and God abides in him. In this love, in this is love perfected with us. Last week we talked about this. We talked about what it means for God to live in us, to abide in us, to, to know that God is with us. And so when I take this, this, uh, this word this to refer to our abiding love or God's abiding in us, 
When, so it says this, when you abide in love, when God lives in you, love is perfected in you. Now, what does that mean? What, how is love perfected in you? Does it mean you have to love perfectly? Any of you here love perfectly? Any of you here are perfect lovers? Now, some of you want to think you're a perfect lover. No, no. But, no, that's not what it's talking about in that sense here. Um, there's a connection, too, and I've shared with you of several of the last three weeks that John is a circular thinker. I hate circular thinkers, okay? Just be honest with you. I like linear thinkers. You know what the difference is? A linear thinker goes from point to point to point. Everything connects. Circular thinkers, though, just keep, keep they kind of like they're confused. And, and they keep, they say certain things, and they keep coming back to it and coming back to it and coming back to them. I call them kind of like ADD persons. And uh, John was kind of that person, brilliant man. But John keeps coming back to certain things. And so I shared with you that even though we're looking at 1 John chapter 4, verses 7 to, uh, chapter tw- verses 12 through 21, the last few weeks, really we're looking at all of John, 1 John because John keeps coming back to the same things over and over. And that's why today I want to refer to uh, some other verses he says because there's a connection in chapter, this verse in chapter 4, verse 12, uh, the verse in chapter 4, verse 12. It says in verse 12, no man has ever seen God. If we love one another, God abides in us, and his love is perfected in us. The same idea of God's love being perfected in us. In other words, what he's talking about here is this. In other words, perfected love refers to God's love in us coming to completion or coming into action as we love each other. It's not flawless perfection that that John is talking about. It is very important for us to understand that because it is different from what most people think about when they hear the word perfected. Most people, when they hear something that's been perfected, they think of it as being something in a state of flawless flawless perfection. The Greek word, though, that John uses here when he says the word, and some of your translations will be completed and some of them will be perfected. What he's saying here is this, though. The word here is... uh, a word that means finished, completed, or accomplished. It's kind of like when you're going on a trip. Any of you go on a trip recently, like yesterday or the day before? When was it accomplished, completed? When you did it, you got there. You just didn't think about it. And so, in a sense, the word that, that you could have used, the Greek word here, is the word that's translated completed or perfected. You accomplished what you were trying to do. A few weeks ago, we went to Virginia to visit our family on Thanksgiving. It's a 760-mile trip, okay, one way, okay? And so I'm always excited when we perfect or complete the trip. But that's what he's talking about here. It's, it's something there's a goal in mind, and that goal is accomplished, completed. That's what perfection is talking about here. And how do I know that? Because it's used multiple times in Scripture in the same way. For instance, um, in John 4.34, not First John, but John 4.34, Jesus says, my food is to do the will of him who sent me and to accomplish his work. The word accomplish here is the same word that's used for completed or perfected in 1 John chapter 4:12 and verse 17. It doesn't mean that Jesus took the flawed work of God and made it flawless. It means that he took an assignment from God and he turned it into an action so it was completed. That's what he did. In John 19 verse uh, 28, it says that Jesus says, I thirst, and he said he did that in order to fulfill the scriptures. The word translated fulfill is, guess what, the exact same word that's used for, for complete or for 
We're perfect here. It's exactly the same word. And, and, and when he, it's translated, it doesn't mean, it doesn't mean that, it, that um, uh, there was a flawed scripture. And to make it flawlessly perfect, it means the scripture promise was put into action to make it complete. In James 2.22, there is an important parallel. It says this uh, in, in uh, the Good News Translation. Can't you see his faith and his actions work together? His faith was made perfect through his actions. That same word is used again here, but it, it's not ta- it's talking about Abraham. And, and it asks the question, how does faith, uh, uh, how do works perfect faith? It's not talking about having a flawless, perfect faith. It's talking about, in other words, it's taking this faith that is imperfect, and it's imperfect until it reaches completion by actually taking action, doing something other than just talking about it, just thinking about it. So throughout Scripture, we see, in a real sense, uh, this whole idea that, that perfection, completion, is not about something being flawless. What it's about here, and what John is talking to us here, and he's saying this in these verses, he's saying to us that, that uh, it's something that brings to completion God's appointed goal. Now, when you come back to 1 John chapter 4, verse 12, which is a parallel to this, and it says this, if we love one another, God abides in us, and his love is perfected in us. And that's what John is talking about again here in verse 17. He's following the normal usage of the word here. We would take it that this means not that our love for each other is flawless expression of God's love, but that if God's love, uh, that it is God's love being put into action, God's love reaching its appointed goal in our lives. Now, I said all that to say this, okay? You're like, oh, man, I'm so confused right now. I want to clear up the confusion. What all of this is talking about is this, and this is why it's so important. At Christmas, God unwraps, he came into the world so that his love, his love could be poured into us. And by being poured into us, he wants to bring to completion or perfection his love. So in a real sense, this first verse, verse this first phrase in verse 17 basically means this. Throw up the next slide. It means this. In this, that is, in your love for each other, when we love each other, God's love is put into action, and so it reaches its appointed goal. The goal is God's love being completed. And God's love is never completed until it flows into us. This is really tricky with one hand this morning. I don't know how to do this. Okay. Okay, this is, this is you. God has poured his love into you. When God's love is completed or perfected, guess what happens? We get God's love, we just hold it, right? We're just all warm and gushy. No, that's not what it is. God's love, it's saying here, is completed when we take the love that God has for us and we pour it into other people's lives. When we do unto others and when we love other people. You know, the, the thing that we started off this fall with at Great Oaks is talking about the very basic thing that, that God wants us to understand is this. The two purposes in life is to love God, and what's the other one? To love others. Love other people. And this is exactly why Jesus came into the world at Christmas. God sent his son into the world at Christmas. Not so that we can have this warm, fluffy manger scene, even though that's a, that's a, that's a good thing to think about, but it's about his, the cross and God showing us in a real way his love in such a way that it expresses his love and is expressed and completed as we pour ourselves into others. 
Now, when I say all of that, I say that because uh, we can talk about, we can. It, it says here in this that the reason we're doing this, it says this, is that we can gain confidence. That's the second phrase here. I'll go to the next slide. Um, that we can gain confidence, it says, that in this is love perfected or completed us, that we may have confidence in the day of judgment. We can have confidence in the day of judgment. How is it that we can gain confidence for the day of judgment by God's love being completed or poured out from us into others? Well, the answer is this. By putting God's love into action for other people, we begin to have confidence. Remember, last week we talked about one of the signs that God lives in us is that we are beginning to live our life in such a way that our life is expressed by God's love. Not that our, our natural desire is people. Let me just put it this way. Christmas. When you're a young kid, what do you think about receiving or giving? It's all about the gift, right? You know, what did you get? What do you ask people at Christmas? What did you get? Not what did you give. If any of you ever gone to anybody and said, what did you give for Christmas? You know what? That, why that question is such a strange question? Because in a real sense, it shows exactly our nature. Our nature, you know, when we, it's kind of like on a computer, a default setting. You know what default settings are on a computer? You know, the computer goes back to that. If, if everything else is messed up, it goes back. You set it to the default. Our default setting, God's saying in our lives is this, is that we as people, in a real sense, our desire so often is to get, not to give. And when God pours himself, his love abides in us. That's what we talked about last week. It begins to one of the ways that we can have confidence we can have confidence in our life that God abides in us. And actually now it goes along with this, and John says it again, that we can have confidence in the day of judgment that we're, we're right before God. One of the ways is to see that God is living in us is that we begin to think about giving more than getting. God's love is expressed in us. And I said this fall in the church, it was really cool to see uh, this whole giving thing uh, through uh, through Thanksgiving, of, of giving to people in the community, through Christmas. I mean, the hallways were filled with gifts to give to kids uh, and families. We gave to 118 different kids uh, in, in our region here that, that would have not had Christmas if without us. Uh, and that's just, uh, you know, we had other people that say, hey, can I give, can I give, can I give? It began to express in your life, the nature of God, that God was abiding in you, and you were getting to pour that into other people. And so one of the things that John is saying here to us is this. He's saying that you can have confidence in the day, day of judgment by putting God's love into action for other people. And the reason you can have confidence is because it's a sign, in a real sense, that God's love is in you. Instead of always asking the getting question, you're asking the giving question. Does that make sense? Now, that's not a sign to say that now that means you're... That anybody that gives as a Christian, that was not the connection here. But it's a sign if you've committed your life to Christ and you really ask a question about, am I really a believer? Can I have confidence when I get before God in judgment? It's saying one of the signs to know in your life and have confidence is that your life is redirected toward giving. The flow of that thought is very much like, and I said, John, once again, is a circular thinker back in chapter 3 of 1 John. He's, in verses 18, he says, little, little children, let us not love in word or speech, but in deed and in truth. He's saying, little children, let the love of God be perfected, completed in you. Let, uh, let the rubber meet the road. Complete your, your, your talk with your walk. Now, 
And then he said, and the result of that is in the next verse, uh, it says this, By this we shall know that we are of the truth and reassure our hearts before him whenever our hearts condemn us. In other words, the way to have confidence before God in the end is to look at our lives and allow God to perfect his love, complete his love, to pour the love that he gives to us into other people's lives. That is what it's talking about here, about this kind of love that God has for us. Now, why does this act, this active love, this completed love, give us confidence? That's the last part of um, uh, this uh, little verse 17. And I'm spending all, most of my time today on one verse, so I'll get excited and say, oh, no, we've got two more verses to go. No, we're almost done. Um, the last part of verse 17, 17c, says this, and it, I'm putting the whole verse together. It says, in this love, in this is love perfected with us, that we may have confidence for the day of judgment. Because as he is, so are we in this world. Now, I begin to ask myself that, this question. So as he is, so are we in this world. Does that mean that we're God? You know, some people take that to the nth degree. No, 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 no. That's not what it's talking about at all here. It's saying that, that we will reflect God. When God pours himself into us, we will, we will reflect God in the way that we act toward others. Uh, we see the same sequence once again in chapter 2, verse 28. He says this, And now, little children, abide in him. Let God live in, in him, so that when he appears, we may have confidence and not shrink from him in shame at his coming. Because if you know that he is righteous, you may be sure that everyone who does right is born of him. In other words, the way to be sure that you are born of him, that God lives in you, so that you can have confidence when God comes to the judgment time, is to live in, is for him to live in you and you to abide in him, which means that you are going to turn around, and in, it, in your life, your life will be reflecting the same values that God has. That's what it's talking about here. In 1 John chapter 3, verse 2 and 3, argues the same way. Now, I'm not going into that. But the thing is, is we need to understand is this. This is a summary of what the chapters uh, of verse seven, uh, 17, and all this we talked about so far says is this. Next slide. Um, it says this. When you love each other with a love that is more than just talk, when the love of God reaches its practical goal of action in your life, you will experience a deep and unshakable confidence before God. See, John is trying to say to us then, you know, let me tell you, you can have some great gifts this Christmas. I got the coolest gift yesterday. I, we never give each other gifts at Christmas. And my wife and I, we don't do that. We just kind of said years ago, when we need something, we'll buy it, you know, if, if we have the money. We do budget things pretty well. And, and, and so... Uh, yesterday, my wife, like I shared, she got back from uh, Florida at 2.45 p.m. yesterday afternoon. And so basically, I, I was hanging out with the dogs and uh, doing my thing. And she texted me, and she says, honey, says I, can't, I look forward to being back with you, and I won't tell you the rest of the text. But um, it was good. But, uh, but the issue was, she said, and she says, but, but while, while – I'm not there right now. I've got a surprise for you. I'm going, how in the world is she going to surprise me when she's in Florida? You know, she take an earlier flight or something? You know, what's she doing? Um, and she says, and so she goes, sends me, and, she's, and she texts, it has, go to this place. It was one of them scavenger hunt things. Have you ever done that for anybody? It's really cool. And she had this, the first one told me to go someplace in the house. I had to figure out where it was. And there was a note there. I had to read that note. It had to go somewhere else. It took me an hour because I'm dumb. And uh, I can't figure out some of her clues. Uh, and I got stuck at one time and had to call her and ask her. I don't understand. And, and finally, finally, after all of this, after all this time, 
after all this time, um, what happened was, is I came to, um, um, I, I finally got to the place, opened it up, and guess what was in there? I'm cool now. I've got an iPad. I was totally blown away. That was the last thing I expected to get because we don't give each other stuff at Christmas. Uh, we we give. We try to focus on giving to others. And, and my wife and my kids actually actually went on together, and I think the dogs and stuff. And they all went in together and uh, got me an iPad. So from now on, probably I won't have the Bible and stuff up here. I'll have my iPad, and I can do my sermons off the iPad when I figure out how to do it uh, down the road. What was I talking about? No, this is what I was talking about. See, when you love, when you love each other with love that is more than just talk, with the love of God, when it reaches its practical goal of action in your life, you'll experience a deep, unshakable confidence before God. See, much of life we talk about things, we talk about giving, we talk about wanting to do this. But God says that his love is completed in us, his God, love is perfected in us, and we begin, it begin to give us confidence when we act upon his love. When we act upon his love, God is the motivating factor in that. He, his love is poured into us, but just, just sitting around thinking about, oh, I'd like to do this, I'd like to do this, I'd like to express this. No, he says love is completed, and it gives us confidence before God when God actually helps us because our nature is not to be Givers, our nature is to be getters. And I'll tell you, I was excited yesterday to get. But I get more excited, I thought about years ago when our kids, you know, some of you that have younger kids, you get excited at Christmas. But when you see the, when I went over to our daughter and son-in-law's house yesterday and our grandson, Cooper, who's a little over 18 months old, 19, something like that. I kind of remember how old. First Christmas, he really kind of like, really, it's cool watching Cooper. Man, it's about, it's all about giving, giving, giving. Giving. You express that in real ways, but that's not our normal nature so often. And so God, in a real sense, what he's saying to us, he's saying to us in a, in a real sense, is that give, uh, giving is something that comes out of God's nature. And we begin to, his love is completed in us when we, when we give it away. Now, the same thing, and I'm just going to mention this, the same thing is at stake in verse 18. It seems to me that exactly the same thing. It's, it's this how to get rid of fear about the day of judgment. Verse 17 is positive. How to have confidence on the day of judgment. Verse 18 is negative, though. It's, it's how not to have fear for the day of judgment. They both basically say the same thing. And basically it all comes down to this. It comes down to this idea that, that more than anything, God wants us to live our life in such a way as that he pours himself into us. He wants us, he said, to complete his love by pouring ourselves into others around us as we encounter people along the way. That's how his love is made complete. Now, one of the best illustrations of that I ever heard was one of my favorite speakers, Andy Stanley, He's a pastor down at North Point Community Church in Atlanta. And uh, I was at a, a conference, and I heard an illustration out of something out of his childhood that he told about this guy who understood this whole thing of pouring himself into others. And so right now I want you to listen or watch for the next about three minutes this little illustration where Andy Stanley shares a story, and then we're going to close up and I sing a song and go home. Okay? Let's watch this video. An example of this I've ever seen or heard about happened when I was in the third grade. When I was in the third grade, I lived in Miami, Florida, and my dad was the pastor of First Baptist Church of Miami. And in that church, in the basement, there was this giant room that they had made a storage closet. And there's these two big wooden doors, and they just stored stuff in there. 
You know, the thing is, is that uh, I thought that was a simple illustration, but that guy got it. He understands what it means to live love out perfectly. It doesn't mean you know everything, that that you're perfect in every way you do it. He just took the little bit that was poured into his life by God through someone else, and he took the love that God had and poured into his life, and he poured it into other people's lives, and it made a difference. You know, we've been talking about for several weeks now this whole thing of unwrapping Christmas. And, it's you know, we thought when we first came, probably you thought about, okay, what is God going to give me at Christmas? Well, he's given us something, and the thing he's given us, he wants us to give away. And that is God's love. His love is made complete, perfect in our life as we give it away. And some of you, I had remember the first week someone came to me and said to me, Pastor Bill, he said, you know, I've gone through this um, nasty divorce years ago, and I still have problems with loving that person. And I said, well, you know, I, I can't tell you that you can do it in your own power. But, but verse, um, verse 19 of 1 John chapter 4 says, that says this. It says, as for us, we love because he first loved us. We love because he first loved us. God is the initiator. He's the one that first took action. And because of that, it gives us the potential and the opportunity to live life in confidence and with purpose, because he first loved us. So I want to ask you, as we've been talking about this for weeks, is your life is your life an example of love? Not because you're a perfect lover, not because you always do the right things, but because you take what God has given to you and you pour it into the lives of others. You think about others. And when you can't do that, you turn to God and God say, God, give me more so that I can pour it into others. And God is not asking you to do it perfectly. He's just asking you to do like this guy did in this example, to take whatever it is that he has given to you and to love others with it, to express your love to them. And in that way, God's goal, God's plan is carried out in this world. Let's turn to him in prayer right now. Thank you for listening to Great Oaks Community Church's weekly podcast. For more series and podcast information, go to greatoakscc.org.